The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbel. Welcome to it Wednesdays here. It's Hale Varsity Radio back for you in 2024. A little bit of a breather, a hiatus, a road trip for some of us to Arizona. And uh, now we are back, huddled up, ready to get all things uh, back in the world of sports. Pleasure to have you in with Hale Varsity Radio. Powered by Cornhead Lager, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. And uh, numbers to join us today at 489-1240 or 800-825-5865. We do this. We started this tradition before the new year, probably around November. So we do roll call and uh, we give you the, the first five in the stream. You want to watch the show, you can listen across the Hale Varsity Radio Network and always catch us on YouTube, the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Uh, Brennan, our friend from the Black Hills, in first, followed by Matt W. Dion, uh, part of Roll Call in number three, NU Grandpa four, and then Anonymous checks in at five. Those are the five. You are one of the first five. We'll give you a roll call shout out to start the show. So we'll get into the portal. How are things looking for Nebraska at wide receiver? We'll check in. Nebraska, Indiana, big one tonight. Important stretch for Nebraska basketball. They tip off at eight o'clock at PBA. Some thoughts from the mayor. Uh, yesterday ahead of Nebraska, Indiana, so we'll gear that. College football playoff, of course. It's old Big Ten versus new Big Ten. How you feeling about that? And uh, we'll get into some uh, some NFL as well. You can email the show, Chris, at HaleVarsity.com. But before we get to portal and football and culture and opt-outs and bad bowl season, except for the college football playoff semis, Elijah Herbal, you are legend. I got to hear about Arizona. There was a tweet put up, and I got to hear about this invite-only party in Scottsdale where someone's walking around with, like, those... You you had this as a kid for for baseball, where it was the igloo cooler that also had the the wine box trigger on it, where you push the button and and it shoots on down like a waterfall, or you tip it forward... Or your buddy holds it up and, and you drink from it, right? Well, you're at some soiree where Elijah's sitting at some massive dinner table, probably fine mahogany, uh, the table, tilts his head back, and here comes a shot of what? What were you, what were you drinking that night? Well, it was an at-home hibachi dinner, which I did not know was a thing. <laughs> I don't know how I got an invite. Have Have you ever attended an in-home hibachi dinner? Uh, tell us on the stream, yes or no, but this hibachi dinner sounded incredible. Yeah, I don't know how I wormed my way into an invite. It was the I mustache. I got invited. Sure, we'll say that. Um, and while your food was cooking, they had this great deal where they'd come <laughs> around and whether you want it or not, pour a whole bunch of sake into your mouth. Never had sake. It's like a, a Japanese wine. I, yeah, I, I yeah. know what it is. I've just never tried it. Yeah. I don't know if there's any left based on the shot you took. Yeah, no. Uh, well, 
they had plenty, because it wasn't just the cooler. You, you laid out the cooler. We'll get into the, the video getting posted. I'm sure a good number of, of you out there who follow the Hale Varsity Radio account saw that on Saturday morning. At H Varsity Radio. Yeah, uh, no free shout-out. That oh, is a free shout-out. Yeah, oh. it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. But no, you posted it, and then it was taken down. Yeah, we'll get into that in just a sec. I would also like to add, though, there were also water guns, but instead of the water, it was sake being shot into people's mouth. It was, it was a great this time. This sounds like an incredible birthday. Mm-hmm. And a video was taken of me, which was posted on the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter account. So somebody account got at, your phone. At 7.30. That's what I thought. Turns out, just in some sleep-deprived state, <laughs> I got up, because I, I, I did some thinking. Nobody else in the, in the house that I was staying at was up at this time. It was 6.30 local time. I was, as far as I know, still asleep. Um, but apparently not, because I'm the only person that has, sleep that has access to both this video and the, the Twitter handle. So apparently at some point on a Saturday morning, my half-awake or half-asleep brain, however you want to say it, decided to be a good idea to tweet this out and then go back to sleep, only to wake up three hours later and find this video with no caption on the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter account. In a panic, I am questioning everyone in the house, who got my phone last night? Who thought this was what funny? What else has been tweeted out? What else has been posted <laughs> yeah. from the mansion? I was highly concerned. Luckily, it was just that video. Like, we can, <laughs> maybe I'll tweet it out uh, now that it's been a couple days. But yeah, I woke up just absolutely, I don't want to say freaking out, but I was very concerned on a Saturday morning that I that this video was posted on the Hale Varsity Twitter account. Luckily, it seems everyone who saw it thought it was funny. It is a funny it, it was, video. It was great. Uh, our friend Iowa Russ screenshotted it before it went down. <laughs> it was three hours. He had plenty of time. Well, <laughs> let's make it a little more uh, urgent. Here's what I think happened. I think you said, oh, we're off Saturday morning from the weekend edition. Mm-hmm. Let me tweet out a reminder that there's no weekend edition this morning. And the wrong thing got tweeted. The, the, Fair enough. The timing would play out there. Yeah. Yeah. And fogged brain, sake brain, or just food coma of, of uh, hibachi madness. There's one more factor here. We flew out at 5 a.m. out of Omaha on Friday morning, mm-hmm. and I pulled the all-nighter the night before and then pulled the all-day. So I think it was a combination of sake and, and sleep You're what, 24, 25? 24. 24. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, not, not the way I wanted to start my weekend. The weekend went on to us uh, sleeping through the Fiesta Bowl after New Year's. So, you didn't even get to the Fiesta Bowl. didn't even make it to the Fiesta Bowl. That's all right. Like, Oregon t- rolled. Tickets were brutally cheap in, in Oregon rolled, so it, it didn't really hurt us. You know, we, we woke up and it was kickoff. We went, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. And then we saw the, uh, the remainder of the first half and went, ah, okay. <laughs> Bowl games were just a a no-show this year with the exception of the college football playoff. Uh, Congrats to Michigan. They owned the line of scrimmage. Uh, The Michigan case study on loyalty, maybe not cheating, we'll dive into and we'll see if there's some parallels to Nebraska and Matt Rule. But uh, the Washington game made me sweat a little bit. For the first time in eight years, I went down and made a wager. At uh, Warhorse. Did you know? And I split. I was looking good until overtime. I took Bama. Uh, I was looking good until that 75-yard. How did Michigan do that to Bama to tie things and get it to overtime? If things would have gone uh, normally, Michigan wins in regulation 2021, and I'm fine. It was two and a half. 
Now, Washington took care of me, so I at least split. There's my wine slash uh, gambling update. The last time I bet was Nebraska-BYU, the infamous Hail Mary game. Uh, that worked out for me. So Washington made you sweat, too, though. My oh, they decided to just say, hey, let's burn every trick play on a drive where we should be killing clock and uh, made it close. Texas kept going and they got the dreaded one second again and Nebraska Twitter erupted with Mac Brown and one second. I find that funny, even though it's still sad. So uh, <laughs> the playoff games were great. Championship game Monday is going to be intriguing and fun. But the bowl games were extremely forgettable because of, well, you had departures. You had NIL situations where guys were leaving the team. Uh, You had uh, opt-outs, which isn't that new. But even the the New Year's Day six games, uh, with the exception of really Oregon, with some of their star power still playing, everyone else kind of tapped out. Georgia and Oregon were the two programs that didn't seem to be that hurt well, Georgia did have some guys hold off on playing an air quote meaningless game. Uh, I guess, and look at Ohio State's situation. I wonder moving forward if you don't get some help with a different portal timetable, uh, if you are able to clamp down, and I don't know how, on tampering, uh, let alone departures via NIL. I, I wonder if you're going to be able to sustain these these bowl games because attendance is is sparse they're not as meaningful and from a tv standpoint ratings wise except for the playoff aren't great now you're going to have your fan base i.e in nebraska or alabama or michigan or say oregon texas i mean you you have your your florida state georgia i mean those fan bases are going to travel they're going to check it out but now at least you have an expanded playoff a year from now where there's going to be 12 teams that are playing for something still. Right now you have four, so there's that remedy. Um, bowl-wise, Nebraska's not been in it for a while, so that's been an issue. Uh, so whatever bowl game Nebraska gets to next year will feel good, even if it is Detroit in the oil change bowl. Uh, Worst-case scenario, you're still going to – be excited for it because you've not had it for such a while. But there needs to be some things going on. And this Michigan case study is interesting because we got to ask the question, could a situation ever happen to Nebraska once they get back to national national relevancy, presumably, uh, where they have a Florida State situation where, all right, there, there won't be a situation where they're they're left out. You're either a playoff team or you're not out of the Big Ten. Top four is where you got to get to. So first, you got to cross that threshold. But when I talk about the Florida State situation, having opt outs and guys just check out before the season's typically done, you saw that in some lower tier bowl games. You've mm-hmm. seen that for years. Michigan's had guys do that. Four or five years ago, three or four years ago. But it's but it's shifted a bit. And whatever you think of Harbaugh and Michigan, a lot of that has to do with culture. Guys love playing for him. And it's it's a similar situation going into year two for Matt Rule with all the guys that had decisions to make. And we think of 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 Ty Robinson, we think of Polar Bear, we think of uh 
you know, some of the other players Nebraska has, Giff, of course, and Ben Hart. Those are the four main guys that had decisions to make that came back because they love what's going on. Uh, is that going to be more the exception or is it going to be the rule? Michigan's had a lot to play for. This is their third straight playoff, so it's a little different scenario situation. There's meaning behind what they're playing for, not so much with Georgia and Florida State. It was important, yes, but you had Georgia go about it, Florida State whined and and didn't really uh, follow through, and they were, by the way, decimated with third-team options that really hadn't looked like they practiced all year. Yeah, and you, you talk about that, that, that culture aspect of these teams that didn't have the opt-outs. And I think that as you kind of laid out the two that stand out in your memory of being the teams that didn't have the opt-outs that could have Georgia as well as uh, now it's slipping my memory. Florida State. Florida State. Mm-hmm. First day back. You know how it is. It's all right. Um, but w- you think about the, the dichotomy there, the culture of a, of a school like Georgia, the, the culture of a school like Oregon. I mean, that's been talked about a lot, the, the culture that Dan Lanning's brought to Oregon. What does it result in for a quote-unquote meaningless bowl game against a team like Liberty? Liberty might have come out fast, but you had a team full of guys that, that didn't opt out and were committed to that team. They wanted 12-2. Dis- and two. Despite the fact that it wasn't the season that they wanted. You know that Oregon team wanted to be playing in the playoff. The same could be said for Georgia, and there's an argument that Georgia deserved to be in the playoff. What did they do? I mean, most of their players, aside from a, a couple guys that had some nagging injuries all season long that you understand with NFL aspirations, they don't opt out. And then compared to Florida State, 19 of their 22 starters opting out, or 18, or whatever the number was. Just the ridiculous nature there that makes you question what the Florida State culture is behind the scenes. That they, I, they, I, they'd have a, I don't want to say a coach that would let that happen because it's not on the coaches. It's, all, it's making out of his hands. Decisions, but it's how you coach the team and how you coach the guys for the three to four years before that that leads to their decision whether or not they're going to opt in for a bowl game. How much they care about their teammates. Mm-hmm. How much they care about the school they play for. How much they care about the fans. All aspects of culture that I think you can see Dan Lanning's brought to Oregon. I mean, Kirby Smart's had it at Georgia. Mm-hmm. Your Bama's, your Michigan's, they've had that for a while. You'd assume that if Washington would have missed out on the playoff, most of those guys would have stuck around and played in a bowl game too because that's the kind of culture that DeBoer has built up there. That's what the, the differentiating factor is right now in the teams that are finding a lot of success in bowl season and aren't opting out or treating it seriously. It's that behind-the-scenes culture that is hard to quantify but easy to see on the field. Well, it is, and, and you know, you're anxious about spring football. You're anxious about Nebraska's opportunity moving forward. But it screams very loudly about culture and really good interview with Mitch Sherman and Nick Henrich. and uh, invite you to read that on The Athletic but it, it, it's painted pretty loudly in the, uh, the Q&A just what this first year was like for a lot of the seniors who've been through a ton and just what kind of impact Matt Rule, Tody White, this staff made. Anonymous checks in apparently to make the finals in the college football playoff. You just need to find a coach that can kiss can, can consistently kick the crap out of Doan, <laughs> Concordia, and Hastings College. How hard can that be? Really good story from Evan Bland. We'll talk to Evan in an hour uh, about Kalen DeBoer. And some of the, the hardest broadcasts I've ever done in my life were the Sioux Falls versus Nebraska Westland games where Nebraska Westland's a a good school and a really good program. And then there's Sioux Falls, who lost a whopping one or two games, I think, during DeBoer's tenure. 
there where he's just smoking everybody. We'll check in with Mike Babcock. Babbers is coming up. We'll get his thoughts on the culture that is laid down for Matt Rule, by Matt Rule for Nebraska football, and if Nebraska can be one of those throwback programs moving forward if the time comes when it's opt-out or play a game that, that may not be as high profile. Husker Hoops will hear from the mayor, Fred Hoiberg. Big showdown with Indiana on the way with Hale Varsity. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Thanks for spending time. Great to be back with you. It's Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Cornhead Lager. You can find us on the Hale Varsity YouTube channel or the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter feed at HVarsity Radio. Reminder in 2024, get buckled up, use your seatbelt. It saves lives, it prevents injuries only if properly worn. Make it click. A message from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Mike Babcock with us, Mr. Husker Football with Hale Varsity and Herd Ad Sports at MD Babs on Twitter. Babbers, Happy New Year! As uh, a lot of excitement with the college football playoff, Husker Hoops. And, oh, yeah, the uh, offseason, uh, Nebraska continues to try and sprinkle in some pieces. How are you? I'm doing fine. Happy New Year to you guys. Well, it uh, we'll see how 2024 navigates in the football world. But what's your, your take? I want to get your thoughts here on, on the old Big Ten versus the new Big Ten. Uh, as you have Michigan v. Washington, that's set for, for uh, Monday night for the championship uh, do you see any any parallels at all uh, with how Michigan's built their program and what Nebraska and Matt Rule are trying to do? Uh, I'm not talking about a guy named Connor. I'm talking about high school recruiting with uh, a few selected portal guys. Well, I, you know, I think that the recruiting has looked pretty good right now, and that's, you know, that uh, Rule and his staff have been aggressive, and, and obviously getting Dylan Riola was a big – part of that because you know there can be a ripple effect when you get somebody that that high profile into your program and other high profile recruits look at it and say well hey you know he's going there so that gives me uh pause you know maybe that's where i want to go i want to be a part of that and i you know i think that's the culture that we've seen to this point um but it, it still has to play out. You know, we still have to see the results on the field. I think right now fans are, I think most fans are believers, um, you know, that uh, this is going to go in the right direction, that uh, he's he, uh, that Matt Rule is building this program in a way that will be successful and will have, be solidly successful, not just a, you know, one and out kind of a thing, but it, but again, we have to see the results, and that's the thing that uh, uh, we don't know. And this, and with the change in the Big Ten, you know, I don't even know how you can explain or project, I guess, is the word, what's going to happen next year with this conference, um, because it's it it just it's it's mind boggling to me, um, just the simple fact of uh, 18 teams in a conference. I mean, what I, what, what does that mean? And, and you play everybody home and home. Every five years, you'll be guaranteed that you'll play everybody in that conference home and home. Is that is that 
Do I remember that correctly? Let, let's just call it like it is. There's a few teams, even though Nebraska's been in the league for 13 years, that I don't care if we ever play again. Give me the sexy matchups and be able to uh, to party uh, on those Saturdays and, and win some of them. That's kind of all I care about. I'll take UCLA and USC 10 times out of 10 over the chance to go play Indiana or Rutgers. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, there are teams that you just assume not play. Uh, but uh, what I think about that, you mentioned Rutgers. Rutgers and or UCLA and USC and Washington and Oregon, they got to go clear across the country to play Rutgers and Maryland or, you know, Maryland and Rutgers have to go that way or Penn State has Pro- to go that probably way. Probably on a Friday night. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Nebraska is at least in the middle of this whole thing. Uh-huh. See, it um, worked out. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit better situation, I think, for the for the Huskers. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, we're going to – is this thing going to end up I don't know how it's going to end up, I guess. Mm. And, and are the playoffs eventually going to be – so we've got 12 teams now. So we've got a few more significant bowl games than we had this year. And, uh, you know, how, how many of those are going to be – it seems like every bowl game I turned on, it was the Big Ten against the SEC. That's how it always is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, at least uh, – uh, the Big Ten got a got a championship game with a Big Ten member and a Big Ten member to be. Um, so I guess that's good. But you guys were talking earlier about the Florida State thing. You know, do you think that that was mindset? I, I thought it was kind of a two way thing. One way was that those players were going to stick around and prove that hey, we belonged in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Or they looked at it and said, we didn't get in the playoffs, so why? What, what's the point of playing? I, I don't know that it had anything to do with the culture. I think it had to do with that decision uh, by the committee to, to leave Florida State out of the playoffs. And I think the playoff players just said, we're not, we're not good enough to be in the playoffs, so what the heck, we're not going to play in this game. And I think the, the point I was making is that a team with a different culture would still understand the Rose Bowl has some significance. Going and beating Georgia has some significance. Playing for pride, if you will, despite the fact that the committee does. But I, I can see it both ways, and I understand why a team would react like that. I just think a team with a different culture, let's say any Nick Saban-led team, I don't think would have a wave of opt-outs. They at like least that. waited till today to have 11 portal <laughs> opt-outs. <laughs> yeah. But they well, were in the playoff, and, though. And I'm not disagreeing with you. I think that's one of the possibilities, that you know, that they were going to stick around and prove that, you know, what they – that's what I was hoping. You know, I wanted to see let's, – let's match them up and see if, if they can play well against Georgia. You know, we can find out did they belong in that playoff or didn't they belong in that playoff. And this way, we have no idea. I mean, I, I don't know whether they did or not uh, from a player's standpoint because they opted out and they didn't play Georgia, and we don't know. Well, Mike, from th- this point of opt-outs and – moving to a, a bigger expanded college football playoff, which should have 12 games every single year, if my math is correct. Do you think we're seeing the, the death of the greater bowl season? I'm not saying bowls go away completely, but just the bowl system the way we know it. Do you think is that going away because of this, this wave of opt-outs in an expanded playoff? Well, yeah. I, I heard someone suggest that the bowls 
pay these players to play in the bowl games to keep them to keep them involved. But if you don't do something like that, I think that this, the the bowl season, as we know it, is in jeopardy. Although almost all those games are on ESPN, right? Mm-hmm. ESPN or ABC. Um, is there the money there to to say, hey, we can pay these guys? Don't opt out for the NFL. Now, the NFL thing what that's probably where the money is going to come in because they don't want to get injured. Um, they don't want to run the risk of doing that. And that's the biggest part of it. The NIL thing, I think you could change by just having kind of a dead period in there or a period where you can't transfer in the transfer portal during a certain time till the bowl games are over or whatever. Um, so that the guys that did that would still be available to play in a bowl game. Um, uh, you know, what was the McCord, the, the guy that came here, uh, made a visit here from Ohio State, and then he goes to Syracuse and stands on the sideline during the bowl game and watches them. And Ohio State probably would have preferred him behind center. Uh, yeah. with how their game went against Missouri. Syracuse probably would have preferred him as well. Uh, yeah, that, that was awful. <laughs> they got rocked. Babbers going to shift over to basketball. Big one tonight against Indiana. A couple of minutes here. Big one tonight. Nebraska's favored five and a half. But a pretty important stretch. I know Purdue looms. I know there's a road trip mixed in there as well for Nebraska to Wisconsin Saturday. But uh, the next six here doable but also pretty treacherous yeah i think it's i think it's definitely the cliche one game at a time i think you've got to approach it that way because i think the big 10 is very competitive and i think that nebraska has a chance to be right in the midst of the competition and to be successful in that competition but by the same token if you're looking too far beyond what's at what you have to deal with right now, uh, you're going to be in trouble because I don't think there's any, like, there aren't givens. There aren't a lot of givens on that schedule when you get into Big Ten play. And that's the thing that I, that's the way I look at it. But, I, you know, this is a this would be a good way to start, certainly, against a 10-3 and three Indiana team um, is, to, is to get that win, and then you can look to the next one. But uh, I, I really think it's that cliche one one game at a time. And Mike, I know it's one game at a time for the team, but from a media standpoint, at what point do you think we can start talking about whether or not this team is or isn't a tournament team? I'm with you. I think it's way too early. I think the whole Big Ten season ahead, so much can change. But at what point can, can Schmidt and I start discussing whether or not this is a tournament team? I think you can start talking about it right now. <laughs> um, I, I, I would talk about it because I think this team has the potential to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what I want to see. Um, when they when they play Indiana, I want to see that team have that potential. And if they win the Indiana game, it's like, well, I feel a little bit a little bit better about it. Um, and then the next game, I feel a little bit better if they can win that game. Just be consistent, and and uh, I I think I think this is a potential NCAA tournament team. I think they can get in. I think that's the opportunity. But again. I picked Alabama to win the football playoffs too. So, 
There you go. The dreaded uh, snap that screwed up the RPO was supposed to be a swing pass, Mike, and it ended up being <laughs> let's run into a brick wall and lose two on fourth and forever. <laughs> yeah, so it goes. Um, and I didn't place any bets, so I'm I'm good. Oh. It was a day of PTSD for Husker fans, from bad snaps from the center on to the, the, swing the shotgun pass. exchange to a, a potential swing mm-hmm. pass, and you followed up Texas getting a second left in the game. It was just a no. day. Yeah, it, it, it was it was uh, it was a whiskey day. Yeah, that's <laughs> well, what if Washington would have just knelt down on that one instead of trying to run a play? They would have. Probably there would have been 40 more seconds off the clock and it would have been even more difficult. You know some executive at ESPN called down and said, all right, we got to give Texas one drive. Get the card out for the kid. Just one second on the clock for sure. Again, uh, death taxes and one more second for those in burnt orange. I thought they were going to call pass interference on that play. Oh, well, the guy didn't touch him. Didn't even have the old. What what difference does that make? (laughs) (laughs) He didn't have. He had. His left arm was 100 yards away from the guy's shoulder pad. He goes up and knocks the ball away, away. Thank God. But yeah, Mike's looking. We're talking Texas. Mike's man. looking for a flag. Bevo's mad. <laughs> We're talking Texas. That's perfect. Oh, that's so good. Babbers will check in next week. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Uh huh. Only, only Texas, right? Uh, more thoughts. Uh, some college football. Some Husker hoops. Hail Varsity continues. Hail Varsity Radio is live. Now, back to Schmitty. Schmitty's a great guy, but he don't have a brain. And Elijah. You want me to speak? When I point you, yeah. On Hail Varsity Radio. Thanks for spending time. Evan Bland coming up. Great stuff from Mike Babcock. Get the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play with Hail Varsity Radio. You can also rewatch the show, the Hail Varsity Radio Twitter feed at HVarsity Radio. Or just get to YouTube, Hail Varsity Radio. Reminder about your friends from Dyer Law. Personal injury, if you've been hurt in a personal injury accident, you can count on Dyer Law and the team to provide you with a helping hand when you need it, no matter what you're dealing with. Call Dyer Law today at 402-393-7529 or visit Dyer.Law to chat with a trusted professional about your personal injury claim. That's Dyer.Law, 402-393-7529. Open phones here till 5. If you want to get in at 489-1240 or 800-825-5865. Babbers made a great point. What could go wrong did go wrong and made a lot of us break out into a cold sweat with Washington v. Texas. And only Bevo and Mike parting shot. Well, yeah, but it's Texas. So you, you imagine the, the, the two uh, brothers, the big guy and the little guy and Smokey and the bandit somewhere with a cigar lit saying, well, we got to fix this. We got to get one more second. And uh, Texas had a shot to the end zone. I was thinking the old Buffalo Wild Wings commercials where somebody hits the, uh, the, bu- the, the button buzzer. from behind the yeah. bar. Yeah. Ah, everyone's clearing out of Buffalo Wild Wings. We got to get... Got to get 40 seconds for Texas here. Uh-huh. Another round, another round. Uh, Brian checks in. It's about time you slackers got back to work. You were itching to come back yesterday. Man, I absolutely was. I was just kind of freaking out. I'm like, and usually by about day two of the vacation, the wife has ordered me to go find something to do, which is go to the gym or go to the gym, uh, which that happened. But yeah, uh, by about day two or day three, I'm ready to 
to, to get back at it. Uh, but I just, yeah, it was pretty relaxing. Just a lot of college football, time with friends. Uh, my uh, dear friend Garth Glessman, before he headed down to Birmingham, uh, which was great. Saw him, saw uh, friends in Omaha. Made a few trips to Omaha, which was good. Didn't fly anywhere. Thinking about maybe February for that. But you took care of the Arizona uh, uh section of the Hale Varsity fan club down there, which is cool. On assignment, clearly. On assignment. Yes, you were. You were, you were on assignment. So uh, let's talk a little hoops. And Nebraska favored by five and a half tonight. Game time decision for Rink Mast. And Indiana is one of those teams that has all the talent in the world. Are they going to hit shots? Are they going to rebound? And Nebraska has uh, forged a 9-0 record when they win the glass. That's going to be key for the Big Red tonight. Can they uh, match up if they don't have rink? I like what Nebraska has with Bryce Williams and, and Gary. They've been playing great basketball. Huskers are in the, in position right now. They're, they're on the bubble by a lot of accounts. They're in the thick of that middle class of the Big Ten, right behind a Northwestern. This was before Northwestern got wiped off the floor last night by Illinois. And Andy Katz has Nebraska right there from a power ranking in that top seven. So you have Indiana tonight. You go to Wisconsin Saturday. Purdue and Zach Eady come to town Tuesday. So number one in the country as we speak right now. You're at Iowa. You're at Rutgers. And then Danny Neenight, the 20th of January, against Northwestern. So I think a fair expectation with your home games uh, is is to end your road games here. You've got a pretty even split, a three home and three road. Go four and two. Go four and two. Now, it's easier said than done going on the road. I don't think there's a great chance against Wisconsin. I don't like the shot against uh, Purdue. But stranger things have happened. Again, at Iowa, at Rutgers, not easy. Uh, what's on our plate right now is Nebraska and Indiana. Here is Fred Hoiberg. Uh, and uh, some thoughts on that physicality cut two here as Nebraska tips off tonight at 8 o'clock PBA. Yeah, they've got size across the board, and they, they're very, very talented. And, you know, I mean, starting with Galloway at the two, and then Mbako at the three, and then, you know, with Renault and Ware at the four or five, uh, they've got length all, all across uh, at every position. Xavier Johnson, sounds like there's a chance that he – may go tomorrow as well. And then I think Gabe Cups has, has done a terrific job running the show as a younger player with that team with Xavier out of the lineup. So, you know, it's it's a team that poses a lot of challenges because of their size. Uh, Mike does a great job of running actions to play to their strengths. And, you know, we're going to have to be on point. And, you know, we can't turn it over. We've, we've been getting in a bad way with, especially in the second half, the other night of turning the ball over. If you do that at this level, uh, with the game starting tomorrow night, it, we're going to have a tough time winning when you have a one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. So we've got to get back to taking care of the ball, protecting it. They're very good at converting if uh, if they do turn you over. And then we've got to finish every possession with a rebound. And, you know, you talk about their size, their length. Uh, they do a good job crashing uh, across the board. And, you know, when we've won the rebound battle, we're 9-0 and this year. So we've to, we just have to go out there and continue to stress physicality. And, uh, and hopefully go out there and execute for 40 minutes. be interesting to see what kind of flow Casey gets into tonight. He's always got an opportunity to be an X-factor from, from downtown. What's he like at the rim tonight against that 
front of Indiana, but but I really like that we go back to the Michigan State game, right, against a team that has all sorts of athletes, is all sorts of physical, probably similar to Indiana with just the, the caliber of dude they have on the roster, and Nebraska made the plays and found a way, and kind of a dire situation after a tough stretch there with Minnesota, with Creighton, so there's confidence Nebraska has. I know there's there's pretty there's always buzz right when you get a, a program and a blue blood uh, like Indiana coming in they've got NBA talent they've got a, a former NBA coach and can Nebraska just be gritty enough tonight and and yes make some plays with some of uh, the the players they have in Bryce Williams and Gary I mean Gary has uh, the ability to 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 kind of do what he wants. He can guard one through four. Yeah, and that that's that is a feather for sure. And then Williams has hit some big shots. We've already highlighted that, but uh, he's already done it. It's not like you're waiting on him to do it. That'll be key tonight for Nebraska. Turnovers, rebounds, those are two things that are obvious, but Nebraska played a little loose with the basketball against South uh, Carolina State. Can they... And they dial that back. That, that That's going to be something to watch as the season goes on against the Big Ten. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, something I think that stacks up well in Nebraska's favor is just the fact that Indiana doesn't have Trace Jackson Davis. Thank anymore. God. There, there's, I mean, some dangerous guys in that roster with, with Renault and Ware down low. Those two guys are guys you're going to have to be able to account for. But there's not a guy that can go takeover mode like Nebraska has. Nebraska has a guy in Casey Tominaga. I said this at the beginning of the year. We haven't really seen it much this season. But he can put the team on his back whenever the team needs a bucket. And, like, think about how big it would have been for K-State to get a bucket or two in that game against Minnesota when things started to slip away. He wasn't able to, had his worst game as a Husker, and I don't think, or worst game as a Husker this season, I should say. And I don't think it's a coincidence how the wheels kind of fell off because he couldn't make a shot to stem the tide. Indiana doesn't really have a guy like that, like they did in years past with Trace Jackson Davis. Could be big in a game that's. Uh, trading buckets potentially down the stretch to have a guy that you can just get the ball to and say, you know what, we have a, a good chance of scoring with this guy having the ball in his Well, and it, and it just doesn't have to be Tominaga. I mean, it, it can be Williams. It can be Gary taking that shot or keeping the ball alive. We'll get to some of your stream comments. There's a lot of happiness in the stream about how Texas went down. Winding down our what? It's Hale Varsity powered by Cornhead Lager. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time this hour, Evan Bland in 10 minutes, his sit down with Kalen DeBoer. Thoughts on Nebraska and their portal chase for this fall. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Cornhead Lager. Reminder, it's pro time, Nebraska. The Omaha Supernovas hit the court for the first ever Pro Volleyball Federation match. That comes up January 24th against the Atlanta Vibe. It's at CHI. First serve at 7. Secure your season and single match tickets now at supernovas.com. Witness world-class talent as the Omaha Supernovas host the Atlanta Vibe for the first match. Pro Volleyball Federation, uh, the Supernovas roster includes NCAA national champions, All-Americans, Olympians. Enjoy the volleyball movement now sweeping across the country and see your Major League Volleyball team, the Omaha Supernovas, supernovas.com. To the stream we go here on the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Uh, Brandon checks in. Happiest moment was watching Texas lose like that after the painful memories watching Texas with one second against Nebraska in the past. 
And uh, Cutter checks in and says, could you imagine, could you believe Nebraska ever having that kind of luck that Texas has consistently had with one second? We could never. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, hey, you make your own luck, though. A little bit. Uh, there's uh, Mr. All right, all right, all right on the sideline. Colin uh, has dealt with abandonment issues because of uh, us being gone on a little bit of a breather. Uh, Dion checks in and says congrats and thank you to Michigan. Now we don't have to listen to mouthy SEC fans. And, you know, the questions out there in the stratosphere about Michigan, if they get it done, if it's tainted or not. We can tackle that a little bit more on Monday's preview show. But I I link this back to Matt Rule's blueprint and idea with how he's built or wants to build Nebraska with how Jim Harbaugh built Michigan, take the Connor Stallion situation out of it. I mean, Harbaugh's taken over in 2015 it didn't have bad years, but think about what he and he went through. And I'm not I'm not playing a violin for Jim Harbaugh at all, but I know that he's the first coach really of that caliber at his alma mater to have his his contract cut in half. Now they're scrambling to give him a hundred and twenty five million dollar deal, and uh, <laughs> forget about that. Sorry, uh, didn't mean to doubt you. Uh, sorry, we kind of went along with suspensions twice this year. But man, Jim, we'd we'd love you back. Meanwhile, his top his recruiting classes shifted a bit. They were top five to top eight his first couple of years there, and it was kind of a circus where he's shirtless in the living room drinking whole milk, wrestling recruits to let's go get some dudes that, that want to stick and stay. The Hutchinsons of the world, yes, a four star, or the McCarthy's of the world, or the Corums of the world. He went and got fits. He built on the offensive line and everyone playing in their third consecutive playoff are, for the most part, recruits from 2019 through 2021. That span of recruiting classes where they were more in the teens or the 12, you know, the the, the tween region. And Michigan's NIL, Elijah, has shifted. One more year foundation. It is about retention of juniors or seniors-to-be versus acquiring talent that's what they're spending nil money on retention of guys who've done it hour two evan bland coming up with hail varsity the voice of husker nation is on the air this is hail varsity radio insight opinion expertise along with the biggest names talking nebraska sports Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbal. Welcome to it. It's Hour 2. It's Hale Varsity. We're powered by Cornhead Lager. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal can find the show, the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Watch that way. Hear us on the Hale Varsity radio network across the state. Or the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter feed at HVarsity Radio. We welcome in Evan Bland for the first time in 2024 at Evan Bland OWH on Twitter. Evan, how we doing? Uh, you gearing up for pretty exciting stretch here of uh, college football finale with uh, the championship game? Thanks for the time. Yeah, doing great, guys. Happy New Year! Uh, I think we're all coming down from the glow of the CFP semifinals and how great those games were and. 
little more portal churn here coming up, and, and it's a new year. It is, and uh, that's where we'll start. Uh, you've got four visitors coming this weekend and, and a pair of wideouts and also a, a pretty talented back in Dowdell from Oregon. But, uh, Evan, let's get your thoughts here on the kids that are going to be here this weekend and some uh, some takeaways here. I really like uh, the, the the kid out of uh, Wyoming slash Texas, uh, Nayor, at 6'3", 215, big body wideout. Yeah, he's a really interesting one. Uh, you know, everyone kind of lists him as a Texas receiver, but he really didn't do anything there. He was hurt, tore his ACL uh, in fall camp before the 22 season and uh, got back this last year, but really just played in the opener and was sort of a backup. So he, he's an interesting case if he's healthy. Really, what we saw from him at Wyoming would be the thing that Nebraska fans would love to have in Lincoln. I mean, you still look at his career numbers. He's got more than 50 catches, and he's averaging 21 yards per catch. So that tells you pretty much all you need to know in terms of the big playability and the speed that he has uh, on the edge. So that's something that Nebraska could certainly be looking for. has kind of an interesting story, too. I mean, he was, uh, I think it was a two-star prospect out of high school, and and then he was a hot portal commodity before he got hurt. So assuming he's healthy, um, you know, that's a guy who's got the experience and the speed and the height that Nebraska is going to need. Because uh, as we've seen with some of their offers, Nebraska recognizes that they're going to need some more experience in that room where uh, you're looking at 2024 now with nine receivers who are either freshmen or redshirt freshmen. Uh, Alex Bullock and Isaiah Garcia Castaneda are sort of your resident vets, but they haven't really been uh, doing what they do for a long time either. So I think Nebraska is looking for someone who's been there, done that a little bit at least, and Nayor seems like uh, one of those high upside possibilities. It's Evan Bland with us here from the Omaha World Herald on Hale Varsity Radio. And Evan, tell me a little about Jamal Banks, the Wake Forest transfer. A name that, at least for me, during the season, under the radar. But had a good season, enters name in the portal, and there's been a lot of top schools that have been hot on his heels. So where does Nebraska stand in, in that recruitment, if you will? And uh, what do you make of Banks, the football player? You know, kind of similar to Nayor a little bit in build. I mean, he's 6'4", 205 pounds. Uh, he's the guy, of all the guys that you're looking at visiting this weekend, he's the one who has the track record in college. Like, he's he's got more than 100 catches. He's been a contributor for a Power 5 team now for for multiple seasons, so he knows what he's doing. Um, you know, in some ways, kind of falls into line with what Nebraska's targeted in past years with Samori Toure and Trey Palmer and Billy Kemp, kind of a, a one-and-done sort of guy who offers some stability at the top there. Uh, I don't know. He's not maybe quite the burner that Nayor is, but I think he does. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Marcus Washington, I I think, just in terms of his versatility and and his ability to kind of go up and high point a ball and and just kind of find find a way, whether that's uh, finding a pocket in the defense or just going up above a defensive back and bringing down a ball. So uh, another, like, just example of a guy who would come in and I think be a pretty clear leader uh, in, in a receiver group that, again, is really talented but, but really young right now. And you need somebody who uh, you can trust in those spots. And I think Banks, um, you know, is someone in a, in a traditional environment who would have graduated by now. He's got the COVID year 
looking to try something somewhere else, and maybe that's at Nebraska. And I think ultimately the fact that Nebraska is bringing both Banks and Aor in for visits here this week, uh, essentially at the same time, to me is an indication that maybe they'd be happy to take both um, and, and, and add some depth to the offense in that receiver group. And Evan, here's a name that Banks reminds me of. I want to get your thoughts on it just briefly. How about Maurice Purify? I mean, if he lived up to Maurice Purify, I mean, that's uh, that would be a win for Nebraska fans. Yeah, I mean, he's good in, in – in, that's a good comp in the sense of, like, the, the frame, sure. I mean, everyone's got to remember that 06 uh, touchdown catch at Texas A&M. So, yeah, if, if he could do that, um, that would be great. Probably similar speed, you know, um, average to slightly above average, but it's really more about the hands. It's more about the instincts. It's more about the frame. Evan, where is Nebraska in the race for Dowdell? Is is it clear cut that Nebraska is leading the race, or is it a tight race right now for this running back? My sense is they're in a in a really good spot. Quite honestly, I mean they visited Mississippi State uh, right after they entered the portal out of Oregon. That's and that's where he's from is is the state of Mississippi. Uh, but it doesn't it sound like that they're necessarily in play for him at this point. And, and to my knowledge, and I've talked a little bit with his, his camp, they don't have any other visits set up. And this is that window. Like today through Sunday is that chance for uh, transfer prospects to check out schools. And so the fact that he'll be in Nebraska, and, and at least as of now just Nebraska, it kind of says all you need to know. And, and as long as that visit goes well, uh, you would think that, that uh, Nebraska would be in a good spot to land him. And, and it makes a lot of sense for both parties. I mean, Dowdell went to Oregon as a four-star guy and, and was one of their headliners in that class, but sort of got caught up in just the depth of that position. And then, of course, Nebraska, um, you, when you look ahead to 24, I mean, what's the how healthy, how, how, how much of a return to full health will Gabe Irvin and Ramir Johnson be after some pretty serious injuries? You've got Emmett Johnson coming back. The staff's always been really high on Quentin Ives, the freshman, but uh, you'd love to have somebody with the pedigree of Dowdell coming in, and you look at his film, too. I mean, this is a guy who um, can run through defenders, run around defenders. Uh, he's, just, he's a dynamic playmaker, and when you're talking about reviving that Nebraska offense in 2024 and, and giving someone like Dylan Raiola another uh, option, I think Dowdell fits that bill. So I, I would imagine as long as the visit goes well this week, uh, you got to like Nebraska's chances. And, and what he strikes me as, Evan, mm-hmm. and I think you're right in that the fact that he doesn't seem to be scheduling visits elsewhere and the fact that Nebraska doesn't seriously seem to be going after any other portal running back seems to tell the full story on Dowdell. But he just strikes me as a Big Ten running back, big frame, athletic, might not run past any defensive backs, but that's not what his job is going to be at Nebraska. The type of guy that you can trust in there on, on three downs, and you know what? He's going to lower the shoulder and, and pick up an extra one to two yards where he can, similar to what you see from a lot of backs in the Big Ten. Yeah, totally. I mean, absolutely. He's physical, and, and he played in, I think it was six games at Oregon this year and was sort of just a victim to the depth. But you look at what he did in high school, junior and senior year. I mean, he, he carried that team Again, in the state of Mississippi, with some pretty against some pretty quality competition, he was a four-star kid, so he's got the track record as a as a prospect coming out. But then, yeah, I mean, you think for Nebraska, like just the value of having a guy that you can lean on as a workhorse that you can trust in like a third and three type of situation to be versatile enough to maybe wait uh, for a hole and burst through, or maybe just 
muscle your way ahead for a couple different yards. So I think that's been something that maybe Nebraska has been lacking is they've had backs with certain abilities, but maybe not sort of the all-around skill set that Dowdell possesses. So, you know, again, we'll see how the visit goes here, but you would imagine, um, especially with classes starting on the 22nd and, and this whole thing being on sort of a timeline that, uh, you know, barring some some kind of surprise that he uh, is looking good to be a Husker here in the future. Evan Bland with us here, uh, talking Nebraska portal thoughts on Hale Varsity Radio. Evan with the Omaha World Herald at Evan Bland OWH on Twitter. Evan, we were beating this up a little bit, and we looked at Florida State and, and all the opt-outs, and situationally it was – do you stick and, and try and prove you got hosed by the playoff selection committee, or do you bounce out because it's a air quote meaningless bowl game, even though it's a New Year's Day six, and Florida State was uh, sorely uh, lacking in in any talent comp, uh, at least uh, from the first two teams of their roster. What'd you say, Elijah? Nineteen of the twenty-two starters not participating and do you think a situation like that would ever happen to nebraska or could happen to nebraska do you think if a team's not in the playoff you'll see more and more of it how do you fix it is the other question yeah i mean can you imagine what uh what would talk radio be like if uh if nebraska went 13 and 0 and didn't make the college football playoff like meltdown I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it would just be, it would be insane. And so like taking that from, from what the players would have experienced in that moment, like you did everything that you could, you overcame adversity, you overcame injuries, all the rest, and you're still left out because you know, whatever the SEC needs to have a team in there. But um, so like, you can see it you can see him say, all right, you know, forget this. We're, 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 we're done. Like if that's how it's going to be. So like I, I can, from a human perspective, like I can understand that sort of reaction, but like Georgia, as you mentioned, was on the other side, and, and they probably felt pretty similarly. I mean, they were the two-time defending champs, hadn't lost a game in multiple seasons, and, and they get left out. And what what was their response? I mean, they came out and enrolled and, and had a point to prove, and I think they proved it pretty emphatically. So that was such an interesting game because I think it really showed both ends of the spectrum and how you how you respond to a situation like that. But yeah, I mean, moving forward. I think the 12-team playoff probably comes at the right time in that right now you had essentially the four CFP teams uh, that avoided any opt-outs, and now it's going to be you know twice that or, or, or three times that moving forward with the way the format's going to be. So I think that'll help with some of it. Uh, I, I think bowl games are going to have to get more creative with how they – uh, differentiate themselves like with edible mascots and things like that like i think you just have to have fun with it and the way that nil is going um you know you hear ideas out there that maybe a bowl game is a situation where you can provide compensation for players for coming out there so uh, you're always going to have sort of those younger players with uh new opportunities and 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 trying to earn their roles into the future so they'll be out there but um i think the opt-outs more than anything speak to just the changing landscape in college football where going to a bowl game um, isn't, isn't uh, the big deal that it was 20 years ago. And I think that's a, a byproduct of the playoff and sort of this idea that if you're not playing for the championship, if you're not in the playoff, then what's the point? Everything else sort of becomes uh, an exhibition. So I think some of that will be mitigated by the format moving forward 
But I, I do think it's a fluid situation, especially with NIL and, and the transfer portal, um, that college football is going to have to continue to figure out. The old Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, you're last, right? Or at least competing <laughs> for it. You had a great feature on Kalen DeBoer. Uh, got a chance to catch up with him, and then also uh, some of the coaches uh, in the the G Pack that uh, got to to kick off against him on Saturdays. Evan, what a what a story, uh, Mr. South Dakota has been for college football, and he's on the doorstep before he moves into the Big Ten. Yeah, what a story. I mean, just his path to where he is is pretty remarkable. I mean, even even just looking at uh, the championship game. I mean, you've got how his story contrasts with Jim Harbaugh, who was an NFL starter and, and really, you know, was a head coach essentially right away when his playing career was done. DeBoer played at, at the University of Sioux Falls. He was an assistant there. He was a head coach there. And I thought it was just, it was interesting, and I hope readers found it interesting that uh, a lot of where he found himself and, and figured out what what to do as a head coach came on fields, not just in South Dakota, but when they played um, you know, in, in, in Seward or in Blair or in Crete or whatever. And so like, he's a guy who's just eminently relatable about, he, he just has stories from back then um, and, and what life is like at the NAI level when you're bussing to, to games on the day of and you have sack lunches and uh, you know, you, you, you kind of find guys that want to play there, maybe division two cast offs or, or local guys. Um, it's just, it was, it was a cool, I think, just insight into where he came from. And, and, you know, from a Nebraska perspective, too, there was a little bit of overlap. People can remember, of course, the, the Indiana game in 2019 when uh, DeBoer was the offensive coordinator there and, and Indiana won that game. And I think he's one of those what-if guys, too, where if Nebraska decided to move on from Scott Frost at the end of the 21 season, uh, DeBoer was, was on the market. Three weeks later, Washington hired him. So I'm not saying that, that he would have ended up at Nebraska, but he's one of those guys uh, who, who did come available at the time when there was some instability in Lincoln. So, um, you know, I think he's, he's a guy who's easy to root for on Monday night. Um, and now that he's coming back to the Midwest uh, in the future years in the Big Ten, I think uh, people maybe will follow his career with a little bit more interest, too. Evan, the crazy stat from DeBoer at Sioux Falls, three total losses yep. across four seasons, excuse me, five seasons. Uh, two of those occurred in the playoffs. One was in the semifinal, one was in the championship game. So only one regular season loss for DeBoer across five seasons at Sioux Falls. That is ridiculous. All he does is win, be it at Fresno or, you know, as as a, a key cog in that, that special Indiana team and then be able to identify a guy like Penix and get him uh, out to, to Seattle. Evan, we'll uh, spend some time next week. We'll run you down again. Thanks for your time as always and always love ch- uh, chatting with you here, talking some ball. Yep. Thanks, guys. Happy New Year. You too. There he is. Good stuff. Read that if you haven't from Evan Bland and his feature on Keelan DeBoer. We'll shift to PBA and uh, the Hall of Fame coach joins us, Jeff Smith, on the way with Hale Varsity. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, Tail Varsity. We're powered by Cornhead Logger, Chris Schmidt, and Elijah Herbel. Is, uh, we'll talk some Husker hoops. Uh, more thoughts from you. 
as we uh, gear up uh, Big Ten Showdown tonight in Nebraska, Indiana. We welcome in Jeff Smith, a uh, longtime assistant with Nebraska Basketball Hall of Fame coach with Lincoln Southeast and uh, tip off at 8. Coach Smith, Happy New Year. Thanks for a few minutes. How you doing? Happy New Year, Chris and Elijah. Doing fantastic. It is uh, going to be a good one tonight. Before we get to PBA, I want to spend a moment and and just sad news uh, over the holiday break with Coach Feakin from Gretna. And, and I know, Coach Smith, uh, you uh, doing a, just an amazing job with high school athletics you have throughout your your, your career. But just a, a word or two from you on Coach Feak, if you could, and uh, what a what a win by the Gretna boys um, on Saturday night with that buzzer beater. Yeah, I, I went up to that uh, that quarterfinal and the matchups there, and you know they weren't sure Gretna was going to play for for part of the early morning, and then they decided to in his honor. And what what an impact he made uh, on the Gretna community and the Gretna program. We we only got to play him in the summer when they were Class B, but just unbelievable disciplined teams that executed well and. I was elated to watch the buzzer beater up there and, and uh, watch the kids point to the sky. And, uh, and uh, it was uh, pretty emotional and uh, just, just a special win for those kids that they did that in his honor and got that win. And uh, his legacy will carry on. He's had, he's had a, a good coaching tree. He's had you know, kids come out of there that have played college basketball. He's got some college kids playing in his program right now that will go on and, and honor him and uh, – uh, just a, a tough deal, and you know our prayers and, and thoughts are with his family and the community. And JJ uh, Wilkins, a uh, former Southeast and Wesleyan player, his son, two sons play there, and I got to talk to him a little bit. And obviously, they are devastated, but uh, but you know they they're 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 trying to move on, and and mm-hmm. you know you have to accept this with life sometimes, and uh, just keep praying for the family, and hopefully hopefully you know we'll we'll uh, uh, see this Gretna team at state tournament. Coach, if I remember correctly, from high school health class way back in the day, I think you dealt with a, a tragedy within a team of your own at some point back in time. Was that up in uh, in Washington? Is that, is that correct? Yeah, Eastern Washington, when I was coaching there as an assistant, uh, a young man was killed on his way to the airport um, coming back from Christmas break. Uh, he was our starting point guard. Um, it was it was tough. It was a tough team tragedy that uh, you know that grieving process is, was very difficult. And uh, um, he was just an unbelievable young man. Uh, Rod McClure was his name. I recruited him out of a, a junior college in Arizona, and uh, and he you know we we were doing pretty well on our, in our second year with him at point and couldn't quite uh, hang, keep keep that going without him. But uh, boy, it, it's tough. Um, you know, as, as losing anybody is that grieving process is tough to go through. But uh, um, you know, that's where teams pull together and you re- rely on each other. And if you're going through that tough day, you just you just you know try to recognize it and pull guys in and and uh, and talk it out a little bit and and, and hug it out sometimes. Jeff Smith is with us, uh, former assistant at Nebraska, Hall of Fame coach with uh, Lincoln Southeast Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, thanks for sharing uh, your personal experience. Thanks for the, the kind words on Coach Feek and, and the Gretna community. Uh, appreciate you opening yourself up to, to sharing that with us. To, uh, to tonight, I want to get to tip off and thoughts on Nebraska. And, and what do you make of this Indiana squad? I know their they're point guard uh, I think is going to be back tonight uh, coming off injury. 
that said, uh, we're not sure about Rink. Uh, what's your gut tell you about Rink coming back? And, and what do you like about Nebraska tonight? I think they're going to do everything they can to get Rink on the floor. And, and it, you know, we're hoping that uh, – oops, sorry, the mailman just dropped the mail it's off. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> but we're hoping that Rink can be a part of this too because Xavier Johnson's a very talented point guard. He's, a, I think, a six-year guy that has led them and makes a big difference on their team. I've watched a couple games with him, a couple games without him. It, it also hurts their depth with the Cup, Cups kid was a little better coming off the bench and giving us some energy rather than a starter. But uh, Xavier Johnson has a little better scoring avail- ability than Cups and, and definitely better defensive ability, ability to push the ball and, and get guys shots a little better where they, where they want them. Um, and then, you know, Rink's rebounding is huge. You know, 10 a game, basically 9.9. For us and Indiana happens to be a, a long team, uh, seven foot six nine six eight, and um, his physicality um, against Khalil Ware could have been could be or or hopefully will be a key because that's that's what Moorhead State to him is they got really physical. He's a tall seven footer that can score around the basket, but Moorhead State lost a close one in in Indiana and they were very physical with him and kind of took him out of his game and I assume Nebraska will do that same thing and Josiah Alec will be able to do that too but I'd rather have the two-headed monster doing that but this this is a huge matchup it's it's a very I think even matchup two teams that are kind of in a similar uh situation right now uh, needing this win for net ratings and uh but those two players could be key for the win for either one of them Coach, whenever you, you look at the, the next two games after this one, you're on the road in Madison on Saturday, and then top five team, top three team, depending on how you look at it, Purdue comes to town on Tuesday. Does that ratchet up the importance of this game, just knowing that if you lose this one, maybe starting your, your true Big Ten season 0-3 could be in the cards, just given the teams you have to play over the next two? Yeah, but we just got to We just got to take this. We just got to take this home game. You just, I mean, it's hard not to look ahead. Any road game in the Big Ten is going to be really difficult. I think Wisconsin's playing really good right now. We know what Purdue brings to the table with their number one ranking and their talent and their size. But I just, I just would, and I know Nebraska is in talking to Coach Lenzer. All, all they're talking about is Indiana, and they can't, they can't focus on. Well, if we lose this, that makes a difference on how we play. It just doesn't, and. So tonight is just crucial that you have to take care of business at home as much as possible. We, we need to go five, at least 500 to have a chance to get in, I think, uh, down, the, down the stretch with these last 18 games. And this one is one that's winnable at home, and, and, and that's where you've got to take care of business. Jeff Smith with us, talking Nebraska, Indiana, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, uh, we, we know Rink's importance. You outlined that, and he's been, been really uh, just key from a rhythm standpoint, and, and I really like his blue-collar approach. That said, Bryce Williams, some key moments against Sparty. Uh, Jawan Gary looked uh, big time, really took smart shots, got to the rim. Do you like their athleticism, their physicality tonight against Indiana? I do. I think Jawan Gary matches up well with Indiana. Um, the Renault kid is, is really talented at 6'9 and strong and finish with his left hand really well around the basket, can shoot it a little bit. That, that, that could be a, just a great matchup. I think two very even players with, with uh, similar skill sets. 
And then, you know, Bryce, the thing I like about Bryce is his size and ability to shoot over people and without, without that strong contest over a six, you know, with a six, one kid, Bryce with his size can get shots off without a, without a really contesting, bothering him much. And I think he's, you know, shot it well lately and played well lately and handled the ball probably a little more than I thought he would. Um, so those two are definitely key of how well they're playing. I think, I think we have an advantage with bench though in watching Indiana. They really don't have a lot of scoring. Um, coming off the bench and especially shooting, they have they have an Anthony Walker kid that comes off the bench and a Caleb Banks. They're both six eight, but they and they're pretty athletic, but they don't really shoot the ball. Whereas, I think C.J. Wilcher's done a really good job coming in and providing some scoring when we need it. Um, and then Sam Hoiberg has shot the ball really well, uh, and, and so those two can can always give us a lift. And as hard as Sam Hoiberg plays, he also lifts us on the defensive end quite a bit. So I, I go I go Nebraska gets the nod with the bench over Indiana and I know in watching a broadcast that's something that they're concerned about is getting production from the bench. Coach, before we get you out of here, I want to get your thoughts on something that we talked about probably a month ago, following the losses to Creighton and Minnesota. We spent a lot of time on this show talking about the lack of Nebraska having a true point guard. Do you think that that issue has been resolved at all for you over the past month, or do you think that's still a concern as we get into true Big Ten play? Uh, I think it's still a concern. I, I, I would say it's better. I wouldn't say it's definitely not resolved, but we kind of knew that Jamarcus Lawrence was a, a work in progress at the point guard. We kind of said that his, his talent shows, but that, doesn't, that talent doesn't always correlate to point guard effectiveness. I think they've played uh, Boogie Coleman a little bit lately just to keep him ready when needed because he's a little more of a true point. And then I think they're playing Sam Hoiberg at the point a little bit too just to give some different looks and get guys experience. Because, I mean, let's be honest, our schedule hasn't been real difficult, so it's a good chance for us to get guys in some positions to improve and get some experience. But now it's now it's time. We don't have any easy ones left at all in this conference. And so we just got to hope that Jamarcus has improved enough and understands the position a little better that he can play with just more and more effectiveness every time he takes the floor. And then maybe Jerron Coleman can get a little more comfortable in this league that he can provide some help off the bench. And then Sam's going to give us what Sam always gives us, which is great effort. Mm -hmm. So I think it's improved. I think it's still a work in progress. We just got to hope it's, you know, far enough along that he can be effective. Um, I think he has an. I think Jamarcus has an advantage over Cups right now. If Cups is the main point guard, I think you know, with if Xavier Johnson's playing, that's going to be a challenge. We also need to really contain Galloway. He's a you know, a senior that has scored a lot for them. They kind of get him the ball when they need things to happen. Really, really good three level player, six five kind of guard skills. He's going to be a guy we need to contain and take away his right hand. Coach, about 45 seconds, impressions on the high school landscape as we head into the new year. Yeah, I went and saw both tournaments. I saw the hack tournament, just, you know, talking Class A, and um, Southeast made a really good run to win that tournament um, over at Southwest. Um, and, and, and I thought just played really good basketball all three days. I got to see them all three days and beating a good Carney team, a good Pius team in the semis and the finals. And then I went up to the Metro and at Bell West and Central play in the finals tonight. Bell West has, I think, kind of found their stride with their with their guards really really playing well up there. And Central kind of made a run here that was a little bit unexpected, but 
um, it's going to be those same cast of characters with Millard North and, and um, Central back kind of back in it and Bell West. And, um, and then uh, we'll, we'll just see how far along the Lincoln schools can get because they had a little further to go. Mm-hmm. Coach, we'll see you Friday night, all right? Sounds good. That should be an interesting game. Yep, Southeast, Southwest. Coach Jeff Smith, Hall of Famer with the Knights uh, on the high school ranks, longtime assistant with the Big Red. Coach, we'll see you uh, later this week, maybe at PBA tonight. Thanks for the time. Sounds good. Let's go Huskers tonight. All right, there he is, Coach Jeff Smith with us. Hail Varsity powered by Cornhead Lager, a jock talk on the way with Hail Varsity. And now. And now, back to Hail Varsity Radio. Big thanks to Jeff Smith. Podcast always available for you with Hale Varsity. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. And uh, can rewatch the show, Hale Varsity Radio, Twitter at HVarsity Radio. Time for a Jock Doc Wednesday, Nebraska Orthopedic Center. Dr. Brandon Seifert with us to kick off 2024. Dr. Brandon, how are we doing? I'm great, Chris. How are you guys doing? We're doing all right. A lot of sweaty foreheads, palms. Uh, it was time for it to, to reapply the deodorant for Washington fans, the way that Texas game finished and Bevo got a second back. And you add up all the time on the clock that could have ran off, that didn't run off. You, you point back to Washington's super talented running back Dylan Johnson. Uh, could not stay on his feet, has a foot injury that, Forced him to get carted off, Dr. Brandon. That's where I want to focus. Too early to tell if he can play Monday night against Michigan. But what the heck's going on here as you do a little math for us on this uh, Washington tailback and the injury he suffered? I mean, he was hobbled a little bit as the game went on. But, man, that that final uh, minute 30 or so, uh, he was really, uh, really a hurting unit. Yeah, I really was. You know, you just kind of saw him grimacing in pain and obviously taking him off on the cart. You know, really at this point, it's kind of all up for speculation as to where this is. I tried to go back and see if there was any kind of mention of it previously in the season. It sounds like what they were mentioning is a re-aggravation of the previous injury. So at any, at any rate, you know, we try to start to speculate here on where this is, what part of the foot, you know, anatomically where this is. And so a couple of possibilities. So as I went back and reviewed that uh, video of when the injury kind of happened during this most recent game, you know, definitely had the look of an injury to the midfoot. Uh, we've talked before about injuries to the midfoot, midfoot sprains. They have a you know, specific injury in orthopedics called a Lisfranc mm-hmm. injury. But essentially what happens is where that uh, metatarsal, which is the long bone that comes off the back of your great toe, where that comes up and joins up with the midfoot, there's another bone next to that called the second metatarsal, those kind of come together and form kind of that main keystone capstone of the mid part of the foot, and they have a really strong ligamentous complex that holds all that together. And that would be my suspicion for him is that he re-aggravate maybe a midfoot-type sprain. It's what it kind of looked like just based on the, the video. Obviously, it's hard to totally speculate on that and say for sure. But that's what I would lean towards. You know, the other possibilities here would be just kind of a generic run-of-the-mill kind of ankle sprain that maybe he's been battling throughout the season. That's another possibility. Um, and then the other kind of possibility here would be, you know, is this a potential for kind of an outside-of-the-foot injury? We've talked about these before, like a Jones fracture. That would be that fifth metatarsal, uh, which would be the outside kind of long bone coming off the small toe and at the base of that, which, again, can be just a frustrating, nagging injury that uh, it's really hard to get those to heal, and those sometimes require surgical intervention, especially in our young athletes. 
Not, so some different scenarios there. Uh, go ahead there, Chris. No, I, I was just going to say, as, as many miles and carries as he's logged, and you look at Washington's run and nine wins by a touchdown or less, I mean, he's been instrumental, very important for that balance on the offense. We don't really know what's behind him, but Washington's got some good backs to choose from. He's been a difference maker, and, man, he's been uh, one tough dude playing through this, you'd have to think, throughout the year. Absolutely. You know, especially you take all three of those injuries, and those are, you know, difficult things to get through. Um, you know, if you look at those and ask the question, they kick, which of these is probably the most nagging, more chronic? The, the midfoot sprains are just really are difficult to kind of get through during the season. It's easy to retweak it. That's probably where I'd lean more towards kind of what injury he has. Um, you know, in terms of treating those, obviously there's a variety of treatments for those. You kind of start out with kind of the low-grade sprain, which even though we're using the term low-grade, they're still annoying and can hurt quite a bit. With those, you're talking some kind of short-term immobilization, maybe a little bit of short-term weight, uh, limited weight-bearing, and then you kind of go back and just kind of play as tolerated. You start to move up into that kind of grade two level. Now you start to talk about more ligamentous kind of stretching, the ligamentous trauma. Now you're looking at being kind of an extended period of non-weight bearing for perhaps, you know, four to six weeks stretches, the whole business. And then obviously you get to that high-grade sprain where you start to have displacement of those bones in that area. Then you start talking about needing some type of surgical intervention. Um, and so obviously at this point they're not they're being – pretty quiet about what they're planning on doing and whatever his recovery is going to be. My assumption here would be he's going to want to try to play, and so they'll probably have to make again a game-time decision for him. Um, in the background of this, I'm sure he's probably getting all kinds of scans and images this week, and so he's probably in an MRI scanner maybe yesterday or today to look at this further to give them a better idea. Dr. Brandon, whenever you look at these potential injuries and the, the lens frank stands out to me because we've talked about that injury so many times on here i remember derrick henry had an issue that kept him out for a couple of weeks he had to come back with a specially made clean it kept chet holmgren out for an entire season you think about that what kind of 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 uh options are there for this situation where a guy maybe wants to play in one game you know what whatever potential injury happens in that game worry about down the road i just want to play are there any potential options for him just to get on the field come monday night yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned a couple there about you know, the special shoe where you can basically build in a special insert into the shoe. Essentially what you want to do here is, you know, be able to obtain something where you have a stiff-soled shoe right in the central aspect of that shoe just to, or foot just to give them some support. And so one would be a special custom shoe, a special custom brace. Honestly, kind of the most simplistic thing to use, what we call a carbon fiber foot plate, kind of a wafer-thin plate that goes under the insole in your shoe that essentially takes all the flex out of that mid part of the foot. Um, and that would be probably the first thing they would start with just to try to get through it. Um, do you start talking about doing some, you know, more aggressive level care where you start thinking about doing like injections to the area? That's really risky in this area. If we're talking Liz Frank injury, that's not an area I think that would be a wise thing to do, but who knows, they might discuss that. But I would definitely lean away from that. That's a dangerous thing to do, I think, in the setting of a Liz Frank injury. Dr. Brandon, you know, is there one of these options that you've laid out that's more tolerable to fight through? You know, the ankle sprain piece would probably be the best. You know, if we talk best-case scenarios here, the ankle sprain piece would probably be the best-case scenario for him to fight through. Um, you know, the other thing would be if he, if, he does, if he is battling kind of that stress fracture type 
issue along that fifth metatarsal, probably could battle through that reasonably well. The list rank would probably be the most difficult thing to kind of fight through. Just when you think about, that's kind of the capstone of your foot, the most important part of your foot. And so trying to cut, plant, move, there's so much that transfers to that area. And that's just a hard injury to kind of manage. Um, you know, the one thing we didn't mention, just to, you know, obviously some more speculation would be, is this a turf toe issue he's dealing with? And with his mechanism the other day watching that video, there's still a potential this might even be a turf toe type injury. Uh, but, again, it's hard with us you know, not knowing the specifics. Dr. Brandon, we'll see how things move for uh, Washington in their ground game uh, for Monday night. Yeah, Dr. Brandon, do you have a prediction for Monday night's game before we get you out of here? Oh, I'm pulling for pulling for Washington. That yes. their coach is awesome. I remember watching him play for Sioux Falls back in the day when they ran the score up on Old Concordia where I went. <laughs> uh, he was amazing. They he ran was, the score. Um, they were amazing, and he was amazing. And it's interesting to read that that gentleman's statistics. My goodness, I think he still has their like record at their school for like a 500 batting average in baseball, which mm. is unbelievable. But he's a Midwest guy. I like to root for those guys. Yeah, and he has no, uh, no no spy gate attached to him, which is nice, too. Uh, Dr. Brandon Seifert with us, Nebraska Orthopedic Center, a jock doc Wednesday. Dr. Brandon, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy Monday, and we'll talk next week. Okay, fellas. Take it easy. There he is. Good to spend time with Dr. Brandon Seifert. We'll wind down a Wednesday next on Hale Varsity. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time, it's Hale Varsity, powered by Cornhead Logger. can always email the show, chris at halevarsity.com. And uh, for sure, find us and uh, watch the show, the Hale Varsity YouTube channel, Hale Varsity Radio, Twitter feed at HVarsity Radio, and the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or those video feeds. Five and a half the number. How are you feeling tonight, Elijah? Is it that close? Does Nebraska get stung? Uh, I think uh, you're going to need some minutes from from Mast for sure. I worry about turnovers. The glass is key. Indiana's got enough talent to to make it happen, but if things go sideways for Indiana, how are they in tight games? How are they against Nebraska's physicality and mentality? They're on the road. It's going to be a raucous atmosphere. Nebraska basketball fans are fired up for another crack at another high-level team. Really important stretch for Nebraska to start the new year. And quite honestly, Indiana, I don't put Nebraska in the category of KU or UConn or anybody like that, but anyone that's been worth a damn Indiana's played, they've they've lost or worse, gotten drilled. Yeah, and I'm not, I mean, the, the one you left off is Auburn. They got drilled by Auburn. They got drilled by UConn. Lost in a close one to Kansas. Everyone else they've taken care of somewhat handled. I think Michigan was a close game, if I remember correctly. The, the question to me is just, is Rink Mast a full go tonight? He's listed as questionable right now. If he's a go, this game looks completely differently than if he isn't, in my opinion. You saw how North Dakota State really, really responded. Excuse me, North Dakota, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, played that in the first half, early in the second half, whenever Rink Mast wasn't on the floor. Just, hey, Josiah Alec, we're just going to put a, a body right underneath the hoop. See if we you can beat us like Rink Mast does, and he didn't do a great job of that. I think that's a a huge question to me is is Rink Mast a go for tonight? Because I, I think if Rink Mast is a go, I think Nebraska should win this basketball game. If he isn't a go, I could see Indiana winning by ten. That's fair. That's uh, it, it's that biggest swing. He, he he is important. 
Uh, on three reporting that Dylan Raiola going to be at PBA tonight helping out with some recruiting. You've got a number of dudes uh, that are going to be in town as, as part of the, uh, the the portal options. That's key. Uh, we mentioned some of the offensive guys, but Elijah, you also have a, a linebacker in Stefan Thompson. He's out of North Carolina. Uh, originally, uh, it's his hometown is Charlotte, but he's a Syracuse backer that I'm sure has a little history with Mr. White. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't forget, you also have uh, Alexander from uh, University of Idaho. Also the, a the rush end linebacker yeah, kind of blitzer. Diff- different type of backer, but yes. Uh, you also have him, but it sounds like the uh, the guy that's going to be there tonight is Naor from uh, Texas, also Wyoming. Sounds like he's going to be the guy that's in tonight. Unsure if any of the recruits are also in tonight. At what point do these guys start flying in? But it does sound like Naor and Raiola will at least be in attendance for the game tonight, which is... No, that, that I like Nayor's like game, his size, good stuff from Evan Bland earlier. Is uh, He joined the show. We caught up with Mike Babcock, Coach Jeff Smith with us tomorrow. And, and, and dare I say, well, I was throwing out wild comparisons earlier. I compared uh, the kid from Wake Forest to Mo Purify. Mo Purify. Dare I say Anunwa for Nayor? That's fine. I, I think Nebraska fans would take them about four Anunwas. Uh, because of how big-time Quincy was. And I'm not saying that he's going to be that big-time or going to be that good, but I'm saying in terms of how he plays in body composition. Sure. No, give me a, give me kind of a um, that hybrid flex guy that's a little more speedy than a tight end. Back tomorrow, Mitch Sherman joins us. Brandon Vogel joins us. Gary Barnett, Danny Burke. Talk to you at four on Hale Varsity, Hale Varsity, powered by Cornhead Lager. A Huda Media Production.